You're listening to L-Town Radio, the Livingston Library Podcast. There's practically no limit to what you can learn and see when you belong to the Livingston Library. From science and technology to grants and genealogy, our library is virtually an information galaxy. This library is yours and this library is mine. Welcome to the February 2022 episode of L-Town Radio, the Livingston Public Library podcast. I'm Joe, one of the librarians here in our Adult Services and Acquisitions Department, and I thank you, dear listener, for tuning in. In this episode, Jessica will tell us about some of the most anticipated books headed our way this month. Hung Mei will be back to share a special song. Archana will tell us about some of the great programs ahead on our February calendar, And in honor of President's Day, the crew will share some of their favorite books, films, TV series, and even poetry about politicians and leaders, both historical and fictional. Speaking of leaders, you may know that our township of Livingston, when it was officially incorporated 209 years ago this month, back in February of 1813, it took its name from New Jersey's first governor, William Livingston. Until recently, I actually didn't know much about our town's namesake, so here's some interesting info I learned from a little book called Our Heritage, which was published by the Tribune Publishing Company in 1976 for our nation's bicentennial. It was written by Bertha Swain, and it is available in our local history room if you'd be interested in reading it. So, as I said, Livingston was named in honor of William Livingston, first governor of New Jersey, after the revolution, and he served as governor for 14 consecutive terms until his death in 1790. He was born November 20th, 1723 in Albany and graduated ahead of his class from Yale and spent much of his life in the practice of law in New York State. He described himself as a, quote, long-nosed, long-chinned, ugly-looking fellow. As governor of a frontier state, quote, the cockpit of the revolution, Livingston was a busy man, always on the move. The British, who had offered a reward of 200 pounds for his dead body, and half the amount for just his ears and nose, quote, for they are too well known and too remarkable to be mistaken, never found him home, for when they raided his house, he was seldom there. Governor Livingston delighted in taunting the British with his free-swinging, sarcastic writings, Hearing the English were thinking of recalling one of their commanders in New York, he wrote, quote, I should be very sorry to have Clinton recalled through any national resentment against him, because as fertile as that country is in the production of blockheads, I think they cannot easily send us a greater blunderbuss unless it should please His Majesty himself to do the honor of a visit. The British were very anxious to capture, quote, that damned old rascal, but to no avail. During his term in office, he granted John Fitch exclusive rights to build steamboats in New Jersey waters, and he saw the state through the first depression, which came predictably on the heels of the war. 
the governor constantly beseeched his friend, Alexander Hamilton, and son-in-law, John Jay, to exert their influence to get federal finances on a sound basis and to strengthen the union, which he thought was showing signs of strain. His early writings indicated his abhorrence of slavery. He wrote also about the high cost of funerals, fire safety, and freedom of the press. Livingston and his wife, Susan, whom he called Suki, had 13 children, quote, one for every state, he was fond of saying. In his first inaugural address, Livingston stated, quote, May the foundation of our infant state be laid in virtue and the fear of God, and the superstructure will rise glorious and endure for ages. Governor Livingston lived at Liberty Hall in Elizabeth. He was a member of the Constitutional Convention, and after signing the Constitution, he wrote, quote, The Constitution surpasses my most sanguine expectations. When we consider the multiplicity of jarring interests, it really becomes a matter of astonishment that a system could have been effected in which so few imperfections are to be found. Hmm. End quote. As the first governor under freedom, he drafted many original laws and provided the groundwork of New Jersey's system of government. Again, that all comes from Our Heritage, written by Bertha Swain and published by the Tribune Publishing Company in 1976. It's available to read in full in our local history room. As always, if you'd like to read that or any of the other illuminating materials documenting our town's history, be sure to speak with one of our reference librarians. And of course, thank you, William Livingston, for helping build the foundations of our great state and for giving our town its name. And happy 209th anniversary to our lovely town. Now, if you listen to our show on the reg, you may remember that the head of our adult services and acquisitions department, Katie, usually has a segment on the podcast where she'll tell us about some of the exciting new releases headed to our shelves in the month ahead. Unfortunately, Katie is on a little sabbatical for a while. Um, she'll be back later this year. But fortunately, we're lucky to have Jessica filling her shoes not only as the interim head of the adult services and acquisitions department, but here on the show to tell us about next month's exciting new releases. Take it away, Jessica. Hello there, L-Town Radio listeners. It's Jessica here. The Livingston Public Library has some exciting new releases hitting the shelves this February. You'll want to add these titles to your to-read list ASAP. The Christie Affair by Nina D. Gramont, February 1st. A long time ago in another country, I nearly killed a woman. It's a particular feeling, the urge to murder. First comes rage, larger than any you've ever imagined. It takes over your body so completely, it's like a divine force grabbing hold of your will, your limbs, your psyche. It conveys a strength you never knew you possessed. Your hands, harmless until now, rise up to squeeze another person's life away. There's a joy to it. In retrospect, it's frightening. But I dare say, in the moment, it feels sweet, the way justice feels sweet. Racetooth by Toni Morrison, February 1st. Twyla and Roberta are two young girls who meet at St. Bonaventure's Orphanage for girls. They become instant friends, not because of their age, but because both of their mothers are still alive. Death of a Green-Eyed Monster by M.C. Beaton, February 5th. Hamish's new constable, Dorothy McIver, may be the most beautiful woman he's ever seen. Completely bewitched by her sparkling blue eyes, Hamish spends the summer traveling with her up and down Sutherland until finally he can take it no longer. He gets down on one knee beside the Land Rover and begs her to marry him, and to his amazement and delight, she says yes. 
But just as the town of Lockdub gets ready to celebrate, Hamish finds himself with a new murder on his hands. If he doesn't find the killer fast, Hamish's dream wedding could become a nightmare. The Paris Apartment by Lucy Foley, February 22nd. Jess needs a fresh start. She's broken alone and she's just left her job under less than ideal circumstances. Her half-brother Ben doesn't sound thrilled when she asked if she could crash with him for a bit, but he didn't say no, and surely everything will look better from Paris. Only when she shows up to find a very nice apartment, could Ben really have afforded this? He's not there. We hope to see you at the library and we hope to see you checking out these titles and more. As always, you can stop by our reference desk and ask one of our friendly librarians for more book suggestions. We love pairing readers up with their next perfect read. See you next time. Bye. Thanks very much, Jessica. And now, here to tell us about some of the programs you can expect to see on our February calendar, here's Archana. Hello, podcast listeners. There are two virtual programs I would like to highlight for February. We begin with a great selection to celebrate Black History Month called Sammy Davis Jr. The Ultimate Mystery is One's Own Self. From dancing in nightclubs as part of the Will Maston Trio, dynamic black performer Sammy Davis Jr. defied racial barriers and rose to stardom on stage, screen and television. He fascinated fans as the only black member of Frank Sinatra's infamous Las Vegas Rat Pack and infuriated others with his interracial marriage and vocal stance on civil rights. In this multimedia talk, entertainment historian John Kendrick will use exciting performance clips and fascinating behind-the-scenes stories to show us how Davis overcame bigotry to become a celebrated show business legend. Make sure to register for this exciting program. A second program, Rock and Roll from the Blues to the British Invasion, on the evening of February 28th, 7 p.m., answers the question, how did a form of African-American rural folk songs become the basis for a musical industry that has lasted decades? This presentation by music educator Paul Groom tracks the inspirational story of music that started in the Mississippi Delta with black performers based on the blues, gospel and doo-wop such as Wynoni Harris, Gory Carter, Jackie Brenson and Muddy Waters and was transformed by an association of racially different artists over a few years into the dominant form of popular music in the United States. In the words of Paul, among the artists initially responsible for this transformation were Chuck Berry, Elvis Presley, Jerry Lee Lewis, and Little Richard. Thereafter, the music became popular around the world and at its most successful, saw a new and phenomenally influential variation being developed by the Beatles, Rolling Stones, The Who, The Kinks, and many other groups from the UK. These Anglo-Saxon performers were clear about the debt they owed to the original black performers. Along the way, rock and roll also spawned the rise of soul music and a cascading differentiation of rock, such as indie rock, country rock, heavy metal, psychedelic rock, and so on. Paul Groom was born in Liverpool, England, in time to experience the 1960s and its explosion of cultural life. And in more recent years, his interest has been drawn to the roots of rock and roll, where he has journeyed to the Mississippi Delta, listened, read and watched in audio, print and film, discovering the wealth of American music that paved the way for rock. This multimedia presentation will trace the dynamics that made these musical developments possible. 
And uh, I realized I forgot to mention that this, the date for the Sammy Davis Jr. program, and that's going to be on February 7th at 7 p.m. So please don't forget to register for both of these via our library calendar, and the Zoom link will be emailed the day before both events. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Archana. Both of those programs sound really cool, and I'm especially excited for the rock and roll uh, lecture. If you listen to the show, you know I'm a big music fan, and so that one sounds really entertaining and educational to my ears. Speaking of music, it's that time in the show where we welcome Hong Mei to share a special song. Hong Mei? Recently, my friend posted a song on WeChat. The song hit my heart as soon as I listened to it, and I can't wait to share this song with you. The song is called The Prayer, sung by Celine Dion and Josh Groban. The two great artists sing together with beautiful voices who complement each other so well. What a perfect combination. We need this so much right now, especially during this pandemic. Now, let's enjoy. Thank you very much, Hong Mei. That really was a lovely song. You know, I'd, I'd heard Josh Groban and Celine Dion sing many times individually, and of course I appreciated how wonderful their voices were, but you're right, when you put them together, it really is something else. Um, at this point, I do want to mention a program we have coming up next month. It's the next installment of our Classic Movie Tuesdays film series. We did have to take a month off last month due to rising COVID cases, but we're glad to say Classic Movie Tuesdays is back, and you can see classic movies on the big screen in our program room once a month. For February, uh, on February 15th to be precise, that's a Tuesday night starting at 7 p.m., you can see the 2001 classic film Monsoon Wedding. The film won the Golden Lion at the 2001 Venice Film Festival. It was named Best Romance of the 21st Century by IndieWire. And it's a comedy drama depicting romantic entangle entanglements during a traditional Punjabi Hindu wedding in Delhi. From Mira Nair, the internationally acclaimed director of Kama Sutra, Mississippi Masala, and the Academy Award-nominated Salam Bombay, comes Monsoon Wedding. I don't think you're ready for marriage. I just want to settle down. So what do you do? Get married to some guy selected by mommy daddy who barely known him for a couple of weeks? In a place where marriage is arranged. Soon to be in family way. A bride-to-be. Are you happy? Yeah. 
can't let go of an old flame. What was so important? You don't want to marry me anymore? Roger Ebert calls Monsoon Wedding a delightful romantic comedy, one of the most exhilarating movies of the new century. And Entertainment Weekly raves, Monsoon Wedding sent my spirit soaring out of the theater. If only their lives are happy. And for that, I'm willing to take on every trouble in the world. Submerge yourself. Just thinking. About what? Good Indian girls. In all the romance. Yeah, I know it's a risk, but what marriage isn't a risk? Of a monsoon wedding. Again, that's Monsoon Wedding, which you can see on the big screen in our program room from a DVD by the Criterion Collection, so you know it's going to look great. Uh, It's going to be Tuesday, February 15th, starting at 7 p.m. The film runs one hour and 53 minutes, and it's rated R for strong language and some mature themes, and there will be closed captions on the screen available for the hard of hearing. Now, because February is the month where we celebrate President's Day this month, I thought I would ask the podcast crew if they had any particular favorite books, films, series, poetry, music, etc. about one of our presidents or even about any kind of politician or leader or someone who displays great leadership skills. They could be American, or they could be from somewhere else in the world. They could be historical, or they could be fictional. And here's what they had to say, starting with Jessica. Hello there, L-Town Radio listeners. Leaders are an important part not only in our country in terms of a presidential standpoint, but also in terms of our daily lives. Leadership is also a quality possessed by the main characters of many novels. One of my favorite books that really encapsulates the importance of being a leader is The Sunflower Sisters by Martha Hall Kelly. In The Sunflower Sisters, we meet Georgiana Woolsey, a Union nurse who joins the war effort during the Civil War. Here, Georgiana crosses paths with Gemma, a young enslaved girl who is sold off and conscripted into the army, and Anne May Wilson, a Southern plantation mistress whose husband enlists. The women in this novel all possess leadership qualities, which make a difference not only in their own personal lives, but also in the lives of others in which they cross paths with. All right. Thank you, Jessica. And Sunflower Sisters is a book you can check out either in print as an ebook or an audiobook using your Livingston Library card. All right. Up next with her answer is Hongmei. I love learning about our presidents by watching movies, because movies give me a lot of information in just a couple of hours. I can have a vivid picture of the president from the movie. One of the movies I like best about the president is called South Side With You, released in 2016. It talks about a fateful first date in the summer of 1989 of President Barack Obama and lawyer Michelle Robinson. On a warm day in Southside Chicago, a persistent young Barack Obama tries to win over his advisor, Michelle. 
she's intrigued by him, maybe even romantically interested, but worries about increasing the burdens she already has to face, as both a black person and a woman at a corporate law firm. So, for one whole day, Barack fights off every doubt and every reason Michelle can come up with to deny that their first time together isn't an actual date. Both actors in the leading roles make you think they are the real people. I haven't seen an actor match Barack Obama so well, and so does the actress playing Michelle. A tribute to the performances is that we look at the characters as people, and not characters of famous people. Well acted with great dialogue, this is an enjoyable romantic movie. I highly recommended this movie. All right, thank you, Hong Mei. And South Side with You is indeed available on DVD with your Livingston Library card. And next, with her response, here's Archana. Hello, podcast listeners. In answer to February's podcast question, my pick for a favorite movie about a leader or politician is one that left a great impression on me when I first watched it on the big screen in India, and that is. A biopic about the life of India's political and spiritual leader, as chronicled in 1982's Gandhi. Winning eight Oscars, including Best Picture and Best Actor, and directed by Sir Richard Attenborough, this film covers a remarkable 50 years of Mahatma Gandhi's non-violent revolution and determination in the face of opposition from British colonial rule. The film begins in South Africa, where a young Gandhi was a target of South Africa's system of racial segregation, and where his political awakening begins. It also spans Gandhi's adult life, showing how his spiritual principles of equality, tolerance, and non-violence inspired India to push for independence from British rule. The movie's expert direction and fantastic portrayal of Gandhi brought to life on a grand and epic scale. This singular and revered figure. Who I had only read about in school history textbooks until then, and in large part this was due to the brilliant acting by Ben Kingsley, who morphed into the role of Gandhi so expertly from his looks to his mannerisms. The DVD of this memorable film is available to borrow at the Livingston Public Library. Another of my favorite picks is the brilliantly witty British political satire Yes Minister. Comprising three seven-episode series, it was first transmitted on BBC from 1980 to 1984, and a sequel, Yes Prime Minister, ran for 16 episodes from 1986 to 1988. This show is a masterpiece of comedy and worldly wisdom, and showcases the hypocrisy of our politicians and ministers and the inner workings of government bureaucracy so brilliantly. Jim Hacker is a man who could be described as mediocre in all things. And he's the minister of administrative affairs, ever conscious of his popularity with the voters and concerned with his career. Hacker tries to assert his own agenda, but finds himself constantly thwarted by the realities of government, in the form of his permanent undersecretary of state, Sir Humphrey Appleby, played by Nigel Hawthorn. He's a veteran civil servant and bureaucrat by distinction. His job is to serve the minister, but his role. Is to guard the status quo and the welfare of the civil service. Jim Hacker promised the voters change, 
and his right-hand man will do anything to prevent it. The results are hilarious as these two try to outmaneuver one another. Paul Eddington stars as Jim Hacker, an Academy Award nominee Nigel Hawthorne, first to wide notice in the role of Sir Humphrey Appleby. Though the show is written in the 1980s, the cleverly crafted satirical plots and witty screenplay make it feel so contemporary. And what's more, the DVD is available to borrow through our buckle system. Thank you very much. And thank you, Archana. I had actually never heard of Yes Minister before, but it sounds like something I'd really dig. In fact, when I started to really think about this question, I realized that most of the politically themed fiction and literature I like best tend to be satire. Uh, Stanley Kubrick's Dr. Strangelove is one of my favorite movies. Uh, Alexander Payne's 1999 film Election um, or the HBO series Veep, which seems like it might be something of a spiritual descendant of Yes Minister. Uh, and when it comes to music, most of the music I enjoy about politics tends to be of the aggressively critical persuasion, you might say. Bands like The Clash and System of a Down and Run the Jewels. So I guess maybe a big part of me is awfully cynical about politics. But in the spirit of President's Day, that is trying to focus on the noble aspects of our historical leaders. I'll mention a few of the more positive political and leadership-based fiction and literature uh, that I love. Indeed, there's Walt Whitman's poem, O Captain, My Captain, written as a tribute to Abraham Lincoln after Lincoln's assassination. So yes, it's very sad in that sense, but it's, it's still very beautiful and hopeful, celebrating the victories that President Lincoln was able to achieve in his lifetime. And I've always admired that balance of grief and triumph that Whitman captures in that poem, which goes like this. O captain, my captain, our fearful trip is done. The ship has weathered every rack. The prize we sought is won. The port is near, the bells I hear, the people all exulting. While follow eyes the steady keel, the vessel grim and daring. But O heart, 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 O the bleeding drops of red, where on the deck my captain lies, fallen cold and dead. O captain, my captain, rise up and hear the bells. Rise up, for you the flag is flung, for you the bugle trills. For you bouquets and ribboned wreaths, for you the shores are crowding. For you they call the swaying mass, their eager faces turning. Here, captain, dear father, this arm beneath your head. It is some dream that on the deck you've fallen cold and dead. My captain does not answer, his lips are pale and still. My father does not feel my arm, he has no pulse nor will. The ship is anchored safe and sound, its voyage closed and done. From fearful trip, the victor ship comes in with object one. Exult, O shores, and ring, O bells, but I, with mournful tread, walk the deck my captain lies, fallen, cold, and dead. As far as books, Ursula K. Le Guin's The Dispossessed is a book, a book about politics that I love, even though it's a sci-fi novel about fictional governments and lands far, far from Earth. It's about an ongoing conflict between an anarchic system on one planet and a more authoritarian one. 
Uh, it compares and contrasts the, the freedom of anarchy versus the constraints of authority and society. And though I think Le Guin certainly favors one side over the other, she still writes about each world with nuance and ambiguity and doesn't seem to claim either one is without fault, and she avoids depicting anything you'd necessarily call a utopia, or at least that's my interpretation. If you'd like to read The Dispossessed and interpret for yourself, you can check out a print copy through Buckles or check out audiobook and ebook editions using your Livingston Library card on Hoopla Digital. Finally, I have to give a shout out to the sitcom Parks and Recreation, perhaps my favorite of the positive political fictions out there. Certainly, the folks running the government in the show's fictional town of Pawnee, Indiana, are not immune to failure and excessive bureaucracy and things like that. But overall, the, the main characters are so endearing and their camaraderie is so infectious that I always love spending time with them. And while the show absolutely has a, a degree of cynicism about government and human nature as a whole, overall, it exudes so much warmth and hope about the future that it's impossible for me to call it a cynical series. If you'd like to see the show for yourself, either for the first time or the 20th time, you can check out DVDs of the complete series through Buckles. All right, well, before we end this episode, I do want to talk about one more program we have coming up next month. It's the next meeting of our virtual book club, Unstuck in Time. It's a book club where we discuss uh, speculative fiction, sci-fi, fantasy, horror, anything involving the supernatural, the futuristic, the macabre, the surreal, etc. Uh, so the book for our next meeting, which will be on Zoom starting at 7 p.m. on Tuesday, February 22nd, is called The Inheritance of Orgidea Divina. It's written by Zoraida Cordova and uh, I'll read the summary on the book jacket here to give you an idea of what to expect. The Montoyas are used to life without explanations. They know better than to ask why the pantry never seems to run low or empty, or why their matriarch won't ever leave their home in four rivers, not for graduations, weddings, or baptisms. But when Orchidea Divina invites them to her funeral and to collect their inheritance, they hope to learn the secrets that she has held on to so tightly their whole lives. Instead, Orchidea is transformed into a seba tree, her limbs stretching into roots and branches, leaving them with more questions than answers. Seven years later, her gifts have manifested in different ways, for Marimar, Ray, and Rhiannon, granting them unexpected blessings and powers. But soon, a hidden figure begins to tear through their family tree, picking them off one by one as it seeks to destroy Orchidea's line. Determined to save what's left of their family and uncover the truth behind their inheritance, her descendants travel to Ecuador, to the place where Orchidea buried her secrets and broken promises and never looked back. Chanel Cleeton the author of the New York Times bestseller, The Most Beautiful Girl in Cuba, says of the book, The inheritance of Orchidea Divina is a stunning homage to the power of ancestors and the legacy they leave behind, a spellbinding tale of magic that is woven across generations. 
Readers will be captivated by the charismatic and unforgettable Montoya family, an enchanting, transporting read. I am very much looking forward to this book. I have not read it, but that summary there really, really has got me excited. Again, that's going to be the subject of our virtual meeting of Unstuck in Time on Tuesday, February 22nd, starting at 7 p.m. Of course, because it is going to be a book club meeting held through Zoom, you will need to register in order to get the link the day before the meeting. So make sure to register through our events calendar if you'd like to join. Print copies of the book will be available to check out from our circulation desk. And you can also check out ebook editions through Overdrive with your Livingston Library card. Well, that's all the time we have for this episode of L-Town Radio. Thank you to Jessica, Hongmei, and Archana for your contributions this month. Thank you, dear listener, for tuning in. I hope you'll tune in again next month. And, of course, I hope you'll come visit us at the library as we are once again open seven days a week for all your librarying needs. You can still access our online and digital resources, though, through our website, livingstonlibrary.org. Don't forget to follow our blog at blog.livingstonlibrary.org. You can also follow us all over the internet on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, SoundCloud, and of course Spotify, where you can listen to and subscribe to this podcast. Till next time, stay safe, stay kind, and stay curious. <laughs>